I don't know that I've ever spent much time with anybody famous, um, having gone to Bible college and then different things like that. I've met some preachers that are pretty well known. Uh, one in particular was really quirky, but that was a joke, but <laughs> it was true too. <laughs> um, but, but I don't know that I've ever spent any significant amount of time with anybody that's well known. Some people get excited about that. I have a friend who met uh, Criswell one time, picked him up at an airport, and he took a book of his and asked him if he'd sign it. And uh, Dr. Criswell patted him on the head and said, you're such a nice boy. Did I write that book? And he signed it for him. Um, But this morning, I got up early, and I was able to spend time with the one who created everything on earth, and me as well. And that excites me. And we have his word, and that excites me. And this morning we're going to talk about God's creation. In Genesis 1.1 we see God beginning to make himself known, which helps us understand that he is knowable. And I hope that you recognize that he is knowable and that you know him better today than you did a year ago or 10 years ago. And that today will be a, a reason for you to know him even a little bit more. He moves very quickly into demonstrating his power and his creativity There's a difference between making something and creating something. Somebody made this piano. It's an intricate instrument. And somebody had the skill set to put the pieces together, craft them in such a way that the end result would be a piano that Victor could play the way that he just did. Somebody made that, but they made it from something. God created, and when he created, he created from nothing. Um, That just helps us understand um, the potential that he has in his creativity. Um, We presently view creation after it it has already existed, and depending upon where we are in the world, we're amazed by it. God made the different varieties or the potential for them of all of the things that exist prior to their existing. He spoke them into existence, except for man. Uh, Genesis 2 verse 7 says that he formed man from the dust of the ground. God has gone from existing and working outside of time, and now he's working in time. We're limited in our ability to understand how that even functions. And um, I, that thought alone about God functioning outside of time as well as in time um, would give us an awful lot of insight if we stop and meditate on that about his foreknowledge. Um, he is an awesome God. There's a battle raging that has been going on for a long, long time, not as long as man's existence, but pretty close to it. It's defined differently these days, but according to Scripture, um, it's gone on a long time. You'll understand that. It's the battle between evolution and creation, two ways of understanding our existence. Jesus believed and referenced creation. Of course he did. He was there. He was the one doing the creating. Biblical creation is not what the vast majority of mankind believes. Maybe they've heard of it. What's taught in schools in our country is not biblical creation. Uh, It's evolution. And because of that, the trickle effect has gone down over generations. And there's a lot of influence there. There have been many and are many voices who speak loudly for evolution. From 1934 to 1996, Carl Sagan lived. He was a voice that spoke for evolution. Um, he had a series called The Cosmos, 
If he were alive today, Carl Sagan would be considered a very spiritual individual. That doesn't mean spiritual God side. Actually, it would be the wrong side, but he um, was, would be considered a very spiritual individual. I want to play a minute and a half video of Carl Sagan's introduction to what he calls the cosmos. So go ahead and start that if you would. Cosmos is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be. Our contemplations of the cosmos stir us. There's a tingling in the spine, a catch in the voice, a faint sensation as if a distant memory of falling from a great height. We know we are approaching the grandest of mysteries. The size and age of the cosmos are beyond ordinary human understanding. Lost somewhere between immensity and eternity is our tiny planetary home, the Earth. For the first time, we have the power to decide the fate of our planet and ourselves. This is a time of great danger, but our species is young and curious and brave. It shows much promise. In the last few millennia, we have made the most astonishing and unexpected discoveries about the cosmos and our place within it. I believe our future depends powerfully on how well we understand this cosmos in which we float like a mote of dust in the morning sky. Sagan was an accomplished individual. He was an American astronomer a planetary scientist, a cosmologist, an astrophysicist, an astrobiologist, an author and professor. He was an assistant professor at Harvard. Later, he taught at Cornwell University. Like what he said or not, he was among the intellectually elite and had many, many, many followers. And it was incredible for me to read some of the modern-day comments about the videos that I saw. We need another Carl Sagan is what they were saying. They love him. The cosmos is all that is. We decide our fate. We're floating like a mode of dust in the morning sky. In a different video, he claims that the universe is 15 billion years old. I'm not sure why he stopped at 15 billion. Why not 100 billion or 14 billion? Not sure. Um, but he was uh, a strong voice in his day. Listen to this next minute and a half. We wish to pursue the truth no matter where it leads. But to find the truth, we need imagination and skepticism both. We will not be afraid to speculate, but we will be careful to distinguish speculation from fact. The cosmos is full beyond measure of elegant truths, of exquisite interrelationships, of the awesome machinery of nature. The surface of the Earth is the shore of the cosmic ocean. On this shore, we've learned most of what we know. Recently, we've waded a little way out, maybe ankle deep, and the water seems inviting. Some part of our being knows this is where we came from. We long to return. 
And we can, because the cosmos is also within us. We're made of star stuff. We are a way for the cosmos to know itself. The journey for each of us begins here. We're going to explore the cosmos in a ship of the imagination, unfettered by ordinary limits on speed and size, drawn by the music of cosmic harmonies. It can take us anywhere in space and time. Perfect as a snowflake, organic as a dandelion seed, it will carry us to worlds of dreams and worlds of facts. Come with me. Makes me feel kind of fuzzy. We've waded, out, we've waded out, ankle deep, and some part of us knows this is where we came from. The cosmos is all we have. The cosmos is also in us. We're made of star stuff. So this morning I titled the message, Star Stuff or God Said. All you really need to understand is your imagination. Carl Sagan said we're made of star stuff. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostril the breath of life, and man became a living being. In the Bible's account of creation, God spoke, let there be light, let there be expanse, let the waters under the heavens be gathered, let the earth sprout vegetation, and so, and so on. Not star stuff. Not over a billion years or 15 billion years, God spoke his creation into existence. Simplistic faith, though, does not mean lack of intelligence. And somebody like a Carl Sagan can be intimidating, incredibly accomplished, crazy intelligent. But I would take the fifth, the fifth graders that we have in Super Church and their wisdom to Carl Sagan's wisdom. But simplistic faith doesn't mean lack of intelligence, but faith-motivated intelligence believes God's creation account. I want to quote from an article, famous scientists who believed in a creator, just to show you that there are crazy intelligent people who believe in creation account that is presented in Genesis. This is from scientists who believed in a creator. Uh, the authors listed over 50 great scientists of the past who believed in creation. Here are just a few of the thousands of 20th and 21st century scientists. These are real scientists, I continue to quote. Dr. James Allen, a, gen- a geneticist. Dr. Stephen Austin, a Ph.D. in geology. They all have Ph.D.s. They're all doctors. Ph.D. in geology. John uh, Bromgardner, Ph.D. in geophysics and space physics. A Ph.D. for someone else in physical chemistry. Another in geology. Another in biology. Another in nuclear physics. Um, uh, Dr. Raymond Demandian, pioneer of MRI scanning. He said in 1994, he told the magazine Creation, the highest purpose of man that man can find uh, for his life is to serve the will of God. It's not to serve me. It's not to seek who, who I came from or what part of the ocean, how far I waited out to get where I was supposed to be. David DeWitt, Ph.D. neuroscience, another in physics or physiology and astronomy, nuclear physicist, biochemistry. Uh, there's some that I can't even pronounce here. Air pollution media. 
meteorology, meteorology chemical engineering, atmospheric science, uh, anthropology, cell and developmental biology, biochemistry. I want us to see that faith doesn't mean lack of intelligence. And we have a responsibility of knowing God's word and whatever other arena that he leads us into and doing the very best that we can. And we should be very intelligent about it. But in the end, Hebrews chapter 11 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are made are not made of things that are visible. Genesis 1.1 says, and you can open your Bibles there if you will, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Let me just walk through that verse 2 just real quickly. Without form means formless, emptiness, empty space, desolation. Void means empty. You might think, God, why would you make a heaven and an earth like that? But I want us to remember that this is just the beginning of the process. Verse 3 comes very quickly afterwards, not millions and billions of years. The darkness over the face of the deep wasn't the intended end. It was in, in conjunction with the first three words that were indicated in Genesis 1.1 in the beginning. Some, in what seems to be an attempt to appease science, and these are believers and many that are genuine, some, in what it seems to attempt to be an attempt to appease science, place the opportunity for an undetermined amount of time, billions of years even, between verses 1 and 2. It's called the gap theory. And I, I'm not going to go crazy into the gap theory, but I'm going to give you a tool for those who would like to read just a little bit about it in just a bit. It seems that the six days of creation, though, come in quick succession, especially with the phrases, and the Spirit of God. And God said, and God said. It wasn't, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the darkness, and then a billion years later, and then God said, and then another billion years later, and then God said. Doesn't seem to fit it well at all. Not even, the, the text seems to indicate and describe creation as an event. Not an event that lasts over and over and over, Carl Sagan's billion years. You might ask then, how do believers answer science? We don't have to answer science. We don't have to answer how was a virgin impregnated. We don't have to answer science and how did Jesus, who died and spent three days in a grave, resurrect. That doesn't mean that we don't use the giftedness that God gave these extremely intellectual people to prove that God is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But let's be very careful. We don't have the obligation of answering science. We have the obligation of following the God that we just sang about, the one who created us. Um, there are many things that God did that have no answer. Biblical creationists, though, do a very good job in what they do. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So in this formless, void, darkness state, the Spirit of God was present, and the state is described as being over the face of the waters. Now, I want to pause here and share with you that I have wrestled with the presentation of this message on creation more than I can remember ever wrestling with another message. And it isn't that I have any question about did God create. Absolutely, he created. Probably did more reading, more listening, more research on this particular message than I've done on any in a very, very long time. 
I, we're going to stop at Genesis 1.26 where uh, before he gets to God, uh, a man is created in God's image. We're going to do that next week. I have zero problem believe, believing in the creation of God. The creation of God. My struggle, though, is to present God's creation. I think is that I sensed a, ten, a tendency, a draw to be intellectual in the present presentation of God's creation. I don't think I need to be intellectual. I'm not saying that I should be void of intellect. I'm not saying that those who are gifted within the church shouldn't be intellectual in how they defend God's biblical creation. But I don't feel like that we need that. Um, I think I've wrestled with it because there's a tendency for those who attack creation as well as those who defend creation against its attackers to want to get very technical. Technical isn't bad always, but to be honest, I could read, and I did, and reread, and research, and I could re-say what other people have said, and I would just be regurgitating what they had said. Isn't it more significant to hear what God says? And I know we know that, but don't hear me, don't hear me downplay the necessity of those who have the giftedness to serve God's body with their intellect to not do so. What I find very interesting, though, is God not only simply declares himself in the beginning God, but he also simply declares his creation account. This is what happened. In the beginning, God, and this is what happened. He doesn't defend it against the scoffer. Actually, in Romans 1, he acknowledges those who won't and don't believe, whether I think that it's a 24-hour day, and I do, whether I think that it's a 24-hour day doesn't change the reality that God said it was evening, it was morning, day one. It was evening, it was morning, day two. It was evening, it was morning, day three. That's God's simple declaration to us in his word. I am, and this is how I created. God, Elohim, declares he created the heavens and the earth, and then he speaks about his daily work. And then he gives some, just some detail, not very much actually, about the events of the different days of creation, not a lot. And I wonder if that is what God did, simply declaring himself as existing and declaring himself as creator. Maybe that's supposed to be adequate, at least in some settings. Here, it would seem that it's supposed to be adequate. Maybe in a debate between a Ken Ham and a Dr. Nye, the science guy, it needs to be a little bit more than that. But we recognize that God is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him and that he spoke and he, and he created. I've said it before. I'm thankful for those who are so much more intelligent than myself. I enjoy reading what they discover, how they refute the unbelieving. I enjoy going to the Creation Science Museum and reading biblical scientists and how they address evolutionists. I want to give, a, I want to give those interested something to read. It's a couple of chapters, and it addresses what's referred to as the gap theory and the day-age theory. The gap theory is how much time was there between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The day-age theory is how much time was there between day 1 and day 2. Day two and day three, day three and day four. It's quite a bit. It's a couple of chapters. And so what I did is I have one copy for the fastest one that wants to trot up here after the worship service. You can have that. And then if you want, I can send it to you on a on in an, in, in an email. On each of these pews over here, there's a QR code. If you'll point your phone at it, it'll bring it up, and you can have it on your phone, and you can read it that way as well. It speaks of the gap theory and the day age theory. Biblical science is awesome. Look at what we are and who we are these days. 
just in health alone. I mean, how many of us are still living and breathing because of science? And so it's a good thing to have. Outer space exploration, oceanography, but something that is declared as scientific fact, but skewed by man's sin-filled, unbelieving heart, and we don't have to look very far backwards to see COVID and all the junk that went on with that. Something that is declared as scientific fact, but skewed by man's sin-filled, unbelieving, fluffy heart in an attempt to disprove God is foolishness at best by extremely intellectual people which result in Romans 1 dilemma for them and mankind. Futile in their thoughts, foolish, darkened hearts, changing God's corrupt, incorruptible glory, resulting in God giving them over to the lusts of their hearts, the very thing that we see rampantly in our day and time. And if broad is the way to, that leads to destruction, and that's true, unbelieving scientists on, are on their way to destruction, regardless of the influence that they have. But remember, as an unbeliever, you and I were part of that, prior to God's goodness and Him reaching our heart, God simplistically and simply declares his creative act. If that were all we had, God declaring that he created, if that were all we had from him, it would seem to be, it would not seem to be as foundationally firm as it is, but we have so much more. There were over 500 people who saw the resurrected Jesus Christ, many who were still alive when Paul penned 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Jesus is said to have conservatively fulfilled at least 300 prophecies in his earthly ministry. That doesn't include the many prophecies about Israel and Judah and the nations around them. Then there's the internal witness of God's truth concerning your, your own sin and your forgiveness and the light of the truth of God's word that it sheds in our spiritual life. And don't forget about the virgin birth. That's no small task. And then there's the resurrection. And then there's the ascension. We don't just have God saying that I created. We have lots and lots of proofs. We have a firm footing. We have a strong foundation. I want us to simplistically work our way through the six days of creation up to, to the point of man and its activities. And I'm going to begin each day with the last phrase that it spoke. The last phrase for the first day was, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Verse 3 says, and God said, let there be light. There was light and God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. The darkness he called night. There was evening. There was morning the first day. So just to recap, there was light. God saw it was good. He separated the light from the darkness. Light was called day. Darkness was called night. And then there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, verse 6, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse or the firmament, depending upon your translation, or the sky from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was a, that's not the heaven where we're going to spend eternity. That's the heaven that that is the sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. To recap, an expanse, the firmament, the sky, God, God made it. It separated the waters from above and the waters that were below. And then it says in verse 9, and it was so. Then it says in verse 9 that God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. So here's the picture. There was this 
creation and it was water encompassed and God put and God said let there be an expanse and so there was this expanse this void in the middle so there were waters above and there were waters below those would be the ones on the earth and then in verse 9 he says let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place let the dry land appear and it was so and God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. He gathered the waters under the heavens in one place. The dry land appeared. He called it earth. And when I think of the earth, and I envision, let's say, uh, North America, I see Canada, and then I see the United States, and I see Central America, and then I see Mexico, and then I could go over to Europe, and I could go to Asia. That isn't what we have here likely. And the reason I say that is because we're not going to go there now, but we'll get there one day. Genesis chapter 10, when we're seeing a a genealogy of Noah and his generations. After after Noah, uh, there were several generations, uh, Genesis chapter 10 verse 25, and it says, "In, in his days, the earth was divided. And so you see this idea that there's the waters that were gathered together, and then there's this land mass that was there, and then sometime after Noah, one of his, one of his relatives, it says of him, in his day, the land began to be divided. And so you see this land mass idea that was there. And God saw it all, and he, and he said it was good. The third day, there was evening, there was morning, the third day, verse 11, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation Plants yielding seeds, fruit trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kind, trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. There was evening, there was morning, the third day. The earth sprouted on the third day, vegetation at God's command, let there be. Trees that would produce after their own kind. Fruit trees that would do after their own kind. God spoke it. The earth brought it forth. God saw that it was good. Let me stop here and say something about there was evening, there was morning, it was the first day. There was evening, there was morning, it was the second day. The word for evening is night or sunset or twilight or the time of sunset. The word for morning is dawn or daybreak. The word for day is day, which can be a 24-hour day. It's true. It can also mean an age. It can also mean a division of time. The usage of day um, is, is determined by the context. And I think God went out of his way to say it was morning, excuse me, it was evening, and it was morning, day one. It was evening, it was morning, day two. Evening, morning, day three. Not evening, morning, a billion years, day two. Not evening, morning, how about another five billion years, day three? Um, He doesn't do that. But there are times in Scripture that we can see the usage of the day, meaning a division of time, not a 24-hour day. Let me give you an example. We don't have to go very far. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day, singular, that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So here, the word day means a division of time, a conglomeration of time from day one to, to day six or day seven when, when God rested on the seventh day of creation. Another example would be the biblical reference to the day of the Lord. He's not speaking about a 24-hour day when he speaks about, the, when scripture speaks of the day of the Lord. It refers to a time of God's wrath upon Israel first and then sin in general. 
general. And so day is determined by its context. But I sense that because of the words, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face, and God said, let there be light, and God said, let this happen, and God said, let this happen, that it's an event that's being described, not an event that's being described. But that word day can be determined by its context. One of the problems with a theory that's called the day-age theory, which proposes undefinable lengths of time between day one, day two, day two, day three, and so on, is that death would have been present prior to Adam and Eve being created and prior to the fall. Because there is a claim that the fossils that exist because of the dating, I don't know how you can date, I can't date anything even on my calendar. I don't know how you can date something millions and billions of years ago, but there would have been death that would have happened even prior to sin. That's one of the problems that they have to deal with. And this article that if you choose to read it, uh, will bring that to light as well. Look at day four. Verse 19 says this, there was evening, there was morning the fourth day. And God said, verse 14, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years. Let them be for lights in the expanse of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night and the, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse, this firmament, this sky of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, there was morning, the fourth day. Lights in the sky, the, the expanse, the firmament, the heavens, the lights separated day from night. They were signs for seasons, days, and years. They gave light upon the earth which means that they cover an incredible amount of space. The greater one is the sun, it rules the day. The lesser the moon, it rules the night. Stars are also mentioned, and God saw that it was good. Verse 23, there was evening, there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth and across the expanse of the heavens. I noticed in one of the songs that we sang this morning, I was saying, okay, that's day, that's creation day five. Uh, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. God saw that it was good. God blessed them. Here is a little different. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters and the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And we could recap, um, but that's what was created on the fifth day. Drop down to verse 31 where it's the ending of the sixth day. There was evening, there was morning the sixth day. Verse 24 says, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kind. And it was so. God said it, it was so. It wasn't star stuff. God spoke it, it was so. I think you got to have more faith to believe in star stuff than you have to believe in God's word. But that's just me. And it was so, and God made, but you know what, I would have believed in star stuff before 1980 when I got saved, that mailman jeep that, you know, that story that I've told you before. I believed in that kind of stuff, star stuff, angel dust, whatever it was. Some of you didn't get that. (laughs) All right, living creatures according to their kind, living and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kind, and it was so, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kind, the livestock according to their kind, everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. 
We're going to stop there. We're going to give a whole message to that next week. But we have living creatures on the earth, livestock, creeping thing, beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And then God said, let us make man in our image. And in verse 31, he sums up day six. And and actually the whole creation account, God saw everything that he had made, not just that day, but the whole entirety. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Each day. God said, let there be light. Let there be an expanse. Let the earth sprout vegetation. Let there be lights. Let the waters swarm. Let birds fly. Let the earth bring forth creatures. God spoke creation into existence. I'm a follower of Jesus. That is what Jesus believed is what we see in the Gospels. And I'm thankful for biblical scientists And I recognize that there are other scientists that are way more intelligent than I am. Carl Sagan, just an incredibly intelligent individual, and yet foolish at the same time. God's word is intensely, immeasurably powerful. He spoke, and it happened. He created something from nothing. He didn't make something from stuff. He created the variations of what was created from nothing. He spoke creation into existence, Genesis 1. His word is also powerful in that it's alive, it's living and active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, it discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart, Hebrews chapter 4. It's also powerful, 1 Peter chapter 1, because it's the word of God by which we're born again. Even his word is multifaceted. It seems logically foolish to me that mankind would believe that we came from the cosmos and are made of star stuff. But my eyes have been opened because of the goodness and the grace of God. I would have been there, maybe in a different version than what Carl Sagan was, but I would have been there as well. And rather than belittle somebody because they don't believe in a creator God, especially on our level. I'm not talking about the debate level that some of these highly intelligent people get. But on our level, the, rather than belittle them, let's seek to proclaim the creator to them and see if God might open their eyes and see what he might do in their life as well. And we have that in our family and in our extended family and in the friends that we have around us and the people that we work with also. Listen to these God-created passages. The writers didn't try and defend it. They read it. Sometimes they wrote it. They believed it. They declared it. They worshiped and served God because of it. Isaiah recorded God as saying in chapter 42, verse 5, Thus says God the Lord, Jehovah, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth And that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it. That was his declaration of who God is as creator. Jeremiah prayed in chapter 32, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Virgin birth, piece of cake. Resurrection, nothing to it. 
He's the God of all creation. He speaks and it happens. And Jeremiah recognized it. To Job, God would say, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its corners? And after God finished speaking with Job, Job's only response was, I repent. I'm sorry I opened my mouth. I will never do it again. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. Night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. There is no tribe on planet earth where the voice of creation is not heard. That in and of itself is enough to to display what is in the heart of man. Not enough for salvation. If we need to hear the word of Jesus, for there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. But it's enough to show what's in the heart of man. There's no speech nor language where their voice is no, not heard. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. By the word of the Lord, Psalm 33 says, the heavens were made, all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Psalm 124 says, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Colossians chapter 1 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Hebrews 11.3 we've already, we've already read. Revelation chapter 4 says, You're worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. God is the creator of heaven and earth. Doesn't matter what a PhD says or what's taught in a university or what government might declare. The Word of God says simplistically, I exist, I am knowable, and I did creation. Even creation itself knows how to exalt God. You remember the story, it was Palm Sunday, Jesus was drawing near, I'm looking at the Luke account of it, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice Praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works which they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, in, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Because creation knows how to respond to its creator. Isn't it interesting that the one made in the image of God is the one who doesn't know how to respond to their creator? Praise God for his grace. Surely, we who have been created in his image and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and are being conformed to the image of Christ, surely we see the necessity of worshiping and exalting God as extremely important and giving it the place that it deserves. And I invite you to... Step up if you need to step up in your discipline of worshiping your God. Worshiping Him and giving Him the place that He deserves. I want to recommend to you five psalms this week. You can write them down or I'll text them to you later if you want to. Something that you could read that speaks of creation. And I just want to encourage you to read them and have a worship time wherever it is that you spend your time alone with the Lord. These five psalms. Psalm 8, Psalm 19, Psalm 104. Psalm 139, Psalm 148, let me just, Psalm 8, 19, 104, 139, and 148. Have a glorious time of worshiping the God who created you 
and who created everything that exists. Simplistically, in the beginning, God. And then God spoke, and he created. And Romans 1 tells us that was enough to know about God, clearly communicated that ancient mankind didn't do well, so God gave them up. And it's the same story that we read today. Let's worship the God who created us, the God who revealed himself, Genesis 1, the God who created everything that exists, the God who knows you by name, the God who loves you intensely with everlasting love.